All right, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. All right, Kate Baller, I love this book, y'all. I made the mistake of picking up this book in the middle of sermon preparation on Saturday last week, and I couldn't put it down, so it really messed up that whole day. But Kate Baller, professor at Duke University, she's the author of, here's the book, you ready? Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. She has this helpful appendix at the back of her book, and this is the appendix. It's titled, Absolutely Never Say This to People Experiencing Terrible Times, a short list. Here's number one. Well, at least, whoa, hold up there. Were you about to make a comparison? At least it's not what? Stage five cancer? Don't minimize. Number two, in my long life, I've learned that Geez, do you want a medal? <laughs> I get it. You've lived forever. Well, some people are worried they won't. Or things are so hard they don't want to. So ease up on the life lessons. Life is a privilege, not a reward. Number three, it's going to get better, I promise. Well, fairy godmother, that's going to be a tough road to hoe when things go badly. Number four, God needed an angel. This one takes the cake because it makes God look sadistic and needy. And angels are, according to Christian tradition, created from scratch. So no dead people looking for a cameo, not dead people looking for a cameo in ghost. You see how confusing, she goes on to say, it is when you pretend that the deceased returned to help you find your car keys and make pottery. I love her. She's unbelievable. She has so much Luther in her. I would love to have a cup of coffee with her. She speaks it like it is. She's got more, but I'm just going to give you one, and it's the title of the book. It's Everything Happens for a Reason. She says this, the only thing worse than saying this is pretending that you know the reason. I've had hundreds of people tell me the reason for my cancer. Because of my sin, because of unfaithfulness, my unfaithfulness, because God is fair, because God is unfair, because of my aversion to Brussels sprouts. I mean, no one is short of reasons. So if people tell you this, make sure you're there when they go through the cruelest moments of their lives and you can now start offering them a reason. When someone is drowning, the only thing worse than failing to throw them a life preserver is handing them a reason. We are about to look at our world an honest, hard, harsh look at our world. And for some of you, I'm going to tell you right now, this is going to be too traumatic. And when you look at it, you're going to stuff your pain and the pain of the world. You're going to say things. You're going to think things. You're going to feel things like, it's going to get better, I promise. And well, at least it's not. And then the classic, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And now could you just pass me that painkiller over there? Others of you, you're going to take a look at this honest, harsh, hard look at the world. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to think it's too unvictorious. You're going to think it's too spiritually defeating. 
And so you're going to feel deep in your bones things like, everything happens for a reason. God needed an angel. And you're going to say things like, man, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you tried this? And you're going to say things and feel things deep in your bones, and you're going to communicate to people like, listen, faith always finds a way. Obedience always finds a way. God always helps those who help themselves. And in an all-time favorite, God always writes a better story for those who fill in the blank. And then finally, when we hear this, this honest, hard look at the world, we're going to, some of us are going to be too fearful. You're going to be absolutely overwhelmed by the pain of it. And you're going to say things like, it's just, it's just too great. I can't, I can't do it. I'm lost. My sin is too deep, too frequent. I'm stuck. I'm beyond help. You're going to feel and you're going to say things like, God is so disgusted with me and I am so disgusted with me. I'm lost. I'm all alone in a world of pain. I want to welcome you to the seven seals. We're going to take an honest look at the world, and then we're going to take a hopeful look at how to live in it. Okay? Now, this is going to be a long text. I could have made it chapter 7, too, so be thankful. It's chapter 6, and then we're going to do 8, 1 through 5. So whoever the reader is, Malcolm, when we come up, let's encourage Malcolm to not read slow, shall we? All right, come on up, Malcolm. I'm going to relish it. <laughs> yeah, I know you are. Go, brother. Relish it. It's Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse time. A reading from the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from, from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for, for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for, for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by, and by wild beasts of the earth. 
When he opened the fifth seal, I saw, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and, and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like, the, like, like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Chapter 8, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Lord, we ask that as we walk through the deep waters of this passage that you would cause light to shine and would you root us in a hope that is beyond our circumstances and beyond even our bodies and beyond uh, ourselves completely uh, would you give the honest look and would you give the hopeful look and we ask this in your name amen all right jesus through the seven soul, seven seals is saying this to us he's saying look there's another way to live in this world of pain there's a better way to live than stuffing your pain. There's a better way to live than trying to control your pain. There's a better way to live, right, than trying to fear pain. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a hard look at this world of ours, this world of pain. And then we're going to take a hopeful look at this better way, and that's the structure. Revelation scholar Daryl Johnson introduces Revelation 6 this way. He says, it is at this point, at the breaking of the seven seals, that most people stop reading Revelation and most preachers stop preaching Revelation. Wow, that's some encouraging news. It's very, very encouraging. So here's what's happening. We are now in the attic with Annabelle. If you're from the north and you prefer the basement, you are now in the basement with the clown, it. We're here. Historically, this is called the... The apocalypse, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, we're going to call them the dark powers, for they are dark powers, right? They're dark because they are. I mean, the images of them are summarizing evil in a comprehensive way. It's summarizing evil, the evil of 
what Paul puts a definite article in, the evil of the sin, the evil of the death, and the evil of the demoniac. And these dark powers are symbolized here in these horses. These horses in the ancient world were used for warfare. They come out to kill and destroy. They come out to rule and conquer. Uh, they, what's not used here is an ox. It's farming or a donkey for transportation. The image here is a horse because it's an image of war. And these are dark powers, and they're an ancient power, and they have a history. They're comprehensive historical powers. Paul said that they invaded the world and they ride through the world. The sin, the death, the demoniac. They have a, a historical entry point into this world, and they ravage it now to this day. We're also going to call them powers, not just dark. They're powers because they are. They have a crown. Look at verse 2. Do you see that? That means that these are lords. They're, they're kings and masters. They have kingdoms and realms. They rule. They're a dark power. They conquer, and they conquer, and they conquer, verse 2. They take peace from the earth, verse 4. You've got to have power to take peace from the earth. They have a great sword, verse 4, again. And then in verse 8, look at this. They were given authority, that's power, over a, third, over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, wild beasts of the earth. Each horse symbolizes dark power. You have the dark power of the white horse, which is conquest and control. In other words, it's the, it's the overriding desire to conquer and control and have conquest in your marriage, in your relationships, at work, in a community, in your institution, in a nation. It's the dark horse. It's the red horse. It's bloodshed and violence. Everywhere it goes, it spills blood. Everywhere it goes, it dehumanizes. Everywhere it goes, it diminishes image bearers. You've got the power of famine and poverty in the black horse, striking the body, tearing at systems, ravaging cultures, taking out whole communities. And then the last one, you have this pale horse because it's the pale of death where death is swinging through the earth as a mighty Lord harvesting a graveyard of folks. The four horsemen are the dark powers in the world, the sin, the death, the demoniac. They have invaded the world, and they are riding and ravaging through the world. And they came into the world the moment, the day, the historical point that sin entered the world. They came in like horsemen. Eugene Peterson says of the presence of the dark powers that, it, that the dark powers are the basic nature of human history. In other words, if you want to know what is the basic nature of human history, what we see in the media, what we read in the internet, what we see in our neighbor's home, what we see take place in our home, it's this history of the four horsemen embodied historically in real life. In other words, there's more going on than what we see. That what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on, remember Elisha's servant, 
pull back the realm, you not only see heaven here, the angelical realm surrounding the Syrian army, but now what we're going to do in the rest of the book is we're going to look beyond the angels. We're going to see a whole other dark world, and that's what we're getting a picture of right here. He says they powerfully ride within the soul. They powerfully ride within family circles, and they powerfully ride within nations and between nations. The point of the four horsemen is this. Our world is messed up. It's a messed up world. I want you to notice, though, that the Christians in this passage, the Christians are found in seal 5, that's verses 9 through 11, and also they're found in chapter 7, which we can't do this whole passage. And then in 8, 1 through 5, seal 7. So seal 5 and seal 7. Notice the Christians in this passage do not stuff their pain. The Christians in this passage do not try to control their pain and the pain in the world. The Christians in this passage do not fear pain. They pray their pain. Verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So we get a snapshot at what the Christians in this passage are doing is that they're not stuffing, they're not controlling, they're not surrendering and fearing, they're praying their pain. And they're asking God, how long? I mean, the psalmist devotes Psalm 13. It's one long psalm asking, how long? To pray or pain looks like processing your pain with God. It's, it's honest gut communication with God. It's saying, God, how long? And you know what the psalmist says? God, how long will you hide your face from me? How long will you remove your presence from me? And this is an interesting one. How long must I take counsel in my own soul? In other words, be in my head, trying to manage my life and my thoughts. How long must I take counsel in my own soul? And then he goes on to say, how long must I have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long must my enemies be exalted over me? How long, O oh Lord, how long? That's honest prayer. And the way that you process your pain with God is talking to him honestly about it. And I wonder, do we talk honestly enough? And notice it gets real specific. He, they're praying about their blood. This is drops of blood. This is specific hurts. This is specific suffering. This is specific prayers. I mean, we're told in the psalmist that, that God has vials of every one of our tears with our name on it. Pray that pain. Peter says, listen, cast your anxiety. Get your specific pains, your specific anxieties, your specific hurts, your specific burdens, and unload them on me. Talk to me about them. Learn to interact with me over them. Eugene Peterson writes, Christians, for the most part, are the very persons in our society who can be counted on to have no illusions about the depth of depravity in themselves or in the world at large. No other community of people. And this fascinating. I wonder if that's said today. I don't know. I think it's said historically. I don't know if it would be said about us today. I don't. Honestly, I don't. No other community of people has insisted so consistently through the centuries on calling evil by its right name. No other community has so mercilessly exposed its rationalizations nor so courageously confessed its own complicity. 
With admitted exceptions, the faith community knows more about what is wrong with the world than any other and is at the same time less cynical or despairing about it. What Jesus is inviting us to do in the seven seals is don't stuff your pain. Don't try to control your pain. Don't fear your pain. Pray your pain. And that's where I know I lose a lot of you. Because you're thinking, oh, that's, that's just right, preacher. Pray your pain. What about justice? And what about all the suffering in the world? And what about all the evil in the world? What about all the pain that we see day after day and things that you can't and don't even want to repeat? You don't even want to think about what happens. Ivan, you know who Ivan is? Of course. Those of you that read Brothers Karamazov. How many of you read that book? Wow. Okay. Now, you love that book, honey. She loved the dynamics of the relationships. I just wanted to conquer a classic because it was boring as all get out to me. But in that notebook, Ivan, one of the, the atheist brothers of Karamazov, he had this notebook. And in this notebook, you know what he did? Anytime he heard of an atrocity, anytime he learned of an evil, he would write it down and record it in the book. And this book became his case against God. How could you allow this? One writer says of Ivan's notebook, he says, today, for the world, it's a perennial bestseller. Today, people have their notebooks, and they're saying, how could he? How can he? Why does he, if he is? I want you to look at the sixth seal. It's found in verse 12, uh, 12 through 17. This sixth seal is a global cosmic earthquake and skyquake and heavenquake. In other words, what we are looking at is a cosmic meltdown. We are looking at the decreation of our very world. The world in which we live is coming to an end in the sixth seal. All the realities of everything that's been created is starting to roll up. It's starting to fall to pieces. It's starting to collapse in on itself and decreate. Now, I don't miss this. The sixth seal is what the Bible calls the final and full judgment. It's judgment day. The Bible calls it final and full justice, exhaustive justice. But notice that the sixth seal, if you look at seal five, the prayers of the saints, the dead saints, seal six is answered prayer. Seal 6 is the answer to the prayer of the saints in seal, in seal 5. It's the souls of those who had been slain. Now, some you've got a choice to make. They're either martyred saints or they're all saints. I say they're all saints. They're all dead saints because martyred is being an image here because all Christians are ravaged and martyred by the four horsemen. 
And so what we have in heaven is we have a picture of all Christians, all folks that have been overridden, everyone that has been under the power of the sin and the death and the demoniac and have become martyred, have been slaughtered because death ultimately martyrs everyone, every Christian. And so what you have is you have a picture in heaven that you have all the prayers of of those who have learned and have become and have been reached by Jesus and have become Christians, all the prayers of every Christian that ever lived while they were alive. And now they're in heaven and they beg and they plead, how long, O God? And their prayer is answered in seal six. And all the suffering stops. All evil ends. What Ivan was writing down in his notebook and what Ivan supposedly wanted more than anything else, seal six is God saying, I'm taking care of it. It's over. I will end it. You know what Rebecca Pippert says? She says, listen, I want you to think. This is how she wants you to feel, seal six. She goes, I want you to think about how you feel when someone you love is ravaged. And now add an infinite being with an infinite heart and how he looks on a world he loves as being ravaged. And then you'll get seal six. He's going to put an end to it. Daryl Johnson, who's a Revelation scholar, he says what's happening here about seal six, the six seals, God is simply taking his hands off creation and the cosmos collapses in on itself. What we're seeing in seal six, he continues to say, is the end finally comes by God finally saying, listen, you want to be your own Lord? Do you really want to be your own Savior? Okay. See if you can hold the world together. Do you really want to do you really want to deal with your sin on your own? Do you really want to try to rescue yourself from the four horsemen? Okay. Paul gives a glimpse of this in Romans 1. Remember when Paul says, "Listen, that the wrath of God or the justice of God is revealed in this world in in very uh foretasting ways or in very Um, snapshots of ultimate realities where Paul says, listen, what God does is he finally and ultimately gives us what we want. That the sixth seal is God saying, I will leave you to what you want. You can be your own Lord and Savior. But I want you to notice something else and it's breathtaking, y'all. I want you to notice why hasn't that sixth seal happened yet? Why hasn't it happened? Why is suffering still continuing? Why is evil still continuing? That's the question that we all ask, right? We all want to know what that means. We all wrestle with it. We feel deeply. The Bible doesn't give us all answers, but it gives you one answer. It gives us one answer to hang on to. He's saying, do you really want to know? Do you want to know why evil continues? Do you want to know why suffering continues? Verse 11, they were told, here's why. 
They were told to rest a little longer. Why? Until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. God says, do you really want to know why I'm waiting? Because I have people to rescue. I'm not done. I've got to go into the four horsemen and bring them out. And then the question becomes, well, how does he do that? Like, how does he rescue us? How do you go from being a sinner to a saint, just that status? Is it just about, well, you become a good person? If that's the case, we got a lot of trouble. How do you be, how do we, how does that happen? How are we rescued from the four horsemen? You know, here's the stunning part. You know, when Jesus, just moments, he is on his way to the cross. He's got... Cyrene, Simon of Cyrene is taking his cross. Remember, he couldn't. He was too, his, the back of his skin was completely exposed. All his organs were exposed. He had bled so much that he was absolutely, he was, he was dying inch by inch, piece by piece of his body. He couldn't carry the cross anymore. Simon of Cyrene takes it. He's on his way to the cross. He's about ready to be nailed in. And you know what he does? He quotes the sixth seal. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. Why? Because at the cross, the sixth seal is opened on him. And the earthquake and the skyquake and the heavenquake shakes Jesus to pieces. But in the sixth seal here, the historical one at the end of the age, notice it says that the kings of the earth and the great ones, the generals, the rich and the powerful, everyone, slave and free, they all ask, hide, hide. They ask the mountains to cover them. They hide in caves and they hide from it. And Jesus, unlike them, does not hide. Jesus, unlike them, stands and takes it. He takes it for you, for me. And by taking it, while he's taking it, what does he do? He prays his pain. My God. My God, why have you forsaken me? So y'all, the death of Jesus was the unsealing of the sixth seal. Ultimate, final judgment was released and unleashed all hell on Jesus so that it's not on us. And so he's conquered the four horsemen. So stuffing your pain is over. Trying to control your pain is over. Fearing your pain, over. You are now called. You are now invited to a better way, a new way. Pray your pain.